Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, we're pulling a, a show out of our archives. This is a Boomer Boulevard show that was originally broadcast back on the 10th of November in 2013. We hope you enjoy it. <laughs> It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. All right, let's go. Boulevard. This is Bob Bro. Glad to have you on board. We have a great show this week. We're going to start things off with an episode of The Halls of Ivy, a really great, uh, great show that takes place on a college campus back around 1950. We're going to follow that up with a very funny episode of The Jack Benny Show. This one is also going to make you laugh out loud. And then, of course, we're going to end up on the streets of Dodge City, Kansas, circa 1875, with an episode of Gunsmoke. So we've got a good lineup tonight. We're also going to share a little music from the era, our era, growing up in the 50s and the 60s, getting married and raising our families in the 70s and the 80s. So we're going to share some memories along Boomer Boulevard, memory lane for the baby boomers. So we're glad you came along. And uh, we're going to get everything started in just a minute. first show we're featuring tonight is an episode of The Halls of Ivy from 1950. This is the show that starred Ronald Coleman and Benita Hume. I remember Ronald Coleman from when I was a kid. He, um, he was actually the age of my grandfather. Ronald Coleman was born in 1891. He made his first film in 1917, so he did a number of silent films, first in Britain and then in the United States. 
But then he really made a great transition in talkies because he had that rich oratorial type voice and uh, he was really good in the halls of ivy his last feature film that he starred in was in 1950 champagne for caesar um we've played that on the show in the past he did make an appearance in the mike todd film uh, around the world in 80 days in 1958 that was the movie that had oh i don't know 20 or 30 major hollywood stars all doing just small cameo appearances it was uh, a really unique feature of that film the colmans had a real resurgence in their popularity on the radio because of the running gags they had with jack benny ronald coleman died in 1958 uh, benita hume was his wife she in her own right was a british stage actress and film actress i don't know i think they married later but I think she pretty much gave up her film career when she became Mrs. Coleman. But with the popularity on the Jack Benny show of the Colemans playing Benny's next-door neighbor, she was brought uh, into the Halls of Ivy, too. And it was superb casting, because as good as he is uh, in the Halls of Ivy, she's even better. All right, I think that's pretty much... Uh, by the way, the Halls of Ivy was, was sponsored by Schlitz Beer. Now, when I was a kid, Schlitz, in fact, I think it says in their ads that Schlitz was the number one selling beer in America. And I remember Schlitz being just a huge beer, and you really don't even see Schlitz anymore, do you? I'm sure they make it, but it's probably bottled by somebody else. I don't know if the Joseph Schlitz Brewing Company is still up there in Milwaukee or not. Interesting how things change over the years, isn't it? All right, here we go. From This is from uh, originally aired on June the 21st in 1950. This is the Halls of Ivy, and the name of this episode is The Bittenheimers and the Cross. Ladies and gentlemen, the Joseph Schlitz Brewing Company of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, presents The Halls of Ivy, starring Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. I was curious. I tasted it. Now I know why Schlitz is the largest selling beer in America. No wonder it's the beer that made Milwaukee famous. If you like good beer, you'll find it pays to be curious and learn about Schlitz for yourself. And now, the Halls of Ivy. That surround us here today And we will not forget Though we be far, far away Welcome again to Ivy Ivy College, that is, in the town of Ivy, USA as it must to all men in these United States, the census taker has finally gotten around to that institution of learning presided over by Dr. William Todd Hunter Hall. At the moment, Dr. Hall and his wife, the former Victoria Cromwell of the London stage, are being interviewed by an efficient young lady with a red, white, and blue portfolio. Now, I have a surprise for you, Dr. Hall. You and your wife are number 35 on my list. Well, why should that be a surprise? Does being the 35th uh, interviewee win something? 
Uh, say, two glorious weeks in Gopher Hole, Nevada? Oh, no. Every fifth person that we count has to answer a few additional questions about his way of living. Oh, yeah, I've read about it, Toddy. Yeah, well, I'll answer it. Oh, thank you, my dear. Uh, and now, Miss Craig, what would you like to know? Well, some of them are rather personal questions, but all information is confidential, you understand. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, I realize that this information will be seen by only a few hundred people and will be about as confidential as a sunset. So, so let's get on with it. Then to begin with... Uh, excuse me. Yes, Vicky. It's the campus police. Uh, Officer Grogan? Yes. He wants to know if Mr. Wellman has got here. No, I'm not expecting him, Vicky. Wellman. If I could just get through one day without a visit from that man. <clears throat> Dr. Hall. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, Miss Gregg. Uh, could you tell me how many times you've been married? Toddy, he says Wellman is supposed to be here now. It's about an arrest. Uh, whose arrest? Well, I'll find out. Dr. Hall, the number of marriages... Uh, oh, yes, uh, yes. And the uh, number of years since the last wedding. Uh, uh, oh, to be sure, yes. Uh, uh, Vicky, what does he say? Dr. Hall... Oh, yes, yes, your question, the, uh, the answer is, um, uh, yes. Oh, yes, yes, eight wives and one year. Heavenly days. Oh, they have been, I assure you. I... <laughs> A, uh, child, perhaps? Hmm? Oh, no, no, she was of age. <laughs> oh, Vicky! It's all right, Toddy. Officer Grogan said Mr. Wellman would explain everything to you. It sounded like something serious. Uh, with Mr. Wellman, everything is serious. He rumps through life with the light-hearted abandon of an aging water buffalo. <laughs> uh, not that I dislike the man, mind you. Of course not, dear. He's dreamy. Or that he tries my patience. No, if he ever tried it, I'm sure he'd love it. <laughs> <laughs> or that he doesn't mean everything for the best. Surely, dear. I doubt if he'd ever strike a woman who was wearing glasses. <laughs> uh, Vicky, why do you always stick up for that fellow? <laughs> Sorry, I'm sure. Oh, well, it's the front door. I'll get it. Uh, Dr. Hall, excuse me, but... Oh, Miss Gregg, I really must apologize. I, I completely forgot well, I understand were... perfectly. Perhaps it would be better if I came back later. Well, if it wouldn't inconvenience oh, you... Oh, no, not at all. If you'll be home around two o'clock, I... Excuse me, Miss Gregg. Here's Mr. Wellman, William. Dr. Hall? Ah, Mr. Wellman, come in, come in. Uh, Miss Gregg, this is Mr. Wellman, head of our board of governors. How do you do? Uh, Miss Gregg, from your portfolio there, I assume you're the census taker? Yes. Am I right that the population of the town, exclusive of uh, those living on campus here, is, uh, is 19,911? Why, yes. That's our preliminary tally. Uh, thank you. Uh, certainly. Goodbye, everyone. Uh, goodbye. goodbye. And now, Mr. Wellman, what's this about Officer Grogan? The, the situation is very simple. Does the name Walt Bentheimer mean anything to you? Walt Bentheimer? You must have read about him in the paper. If you read the papers. <laughs> he had considerable notoriety about a month ago. Bentheimer, his wife and seven offspring... Yes, the man with the seven children who lives in a silver trailer. There is no necessity to make it sound like a fairy tale, Mrs. Hall. <laughs> yes, I remember him. The newspapers said he was arrested for vagrancy and trespassing on city property. No visible means of support. This man is a public nuisance. He drove his trailer right into the park across from the city hall and set up housekeeping. 
His children bathed in the public fountain, and his wife strung her washing between the statues of General Lee and General Grant. <laughs> General Lee and General Grant. Well, that's one way of keeping the country strung together. <laughs> the situation was far from humorous, Mrs. Hall. It created very bad publicity for this town throughout the entire state. I remember now, when Bentheimer was arrested, he criticized the police department, the jail accommodations, and the park commission. And all with some justice. <laughs> he had added up his bill of rights and found an error in the total. <laughs> Dr. Hall! Well, really, I don't see why all your excitement, Mr. Wellman. This all happened a month ago. You will see, Mrs. Hall, when I tell you that he is now dug in on our own campus. Here? At Ivy. Here, at Ivy. Not 15 minutes ago, Officer Grogan saw that blasted trailer park right on our athletic field. And then, then right before Grogan's eyes, mother, father, and all seven of their brats screamed out of the trailer carrying soap and towels and disappeared into our gymnasium. <laughs> well, they're using our gym showers as a public bath? Yes, at this very moment. Well, bless their hearts. <laughs> rather serious, Vicky. Trespassing on private property, illegal use of the college gymnasium. Using public city property is, is one thing, but this... Dr. Hall, Bentheimer is a dangerous element. It's a, such as he that breeds social unrest, and a, a man like this shouldn't be at large. Well, what do you want? To have him arrested? Uh, it occurred to me that uh, your husband might be able to use his talents uh, for diplomacy. He has a clever mind, uh, you know... In his own sort of way. We thank you, Mr. Wellman. If you can persuade uh, this uh, fellow to, to move on, I mean, if you can handle this uh, unpleasant matter with, uh, without unpleasantness. These are orders from the board, Mr. Wellman? Dr. Hall, you will handle the situation as you see fit. I do not presume to instruct you. I uh, suggest a course of action, as it were. I see. Yes, very clearly. You do? You... You do? Then, good day, Mrs. Hall. Good day, Mr. Goodbye, Mr. Wellman. Well, here we go again. You know, Vicky, a man who can upset Mr. Wellman has a strong claim on my admiration and sympathy. <laughs> you apparently don't consider this Bentheimer particularly subversive. Oh, I'm prejudiced in favor of any group with a predisposition for frequent bathing. At anyone's expense. I could never understand why radicals mounted soapboxes for their oratorical exercises. Cleanliness and anarchy always seem such strange tub fellows. Anyway, we, we've got to meet this breeder of unrest, this one family social upheaval. Well, it's a beautiful day. Yes. I think we'd enjoy a stroll across the campus. Like, say, to the gymnasium? Mm -hmm. Come on, Toddy, let's take a walk. Hello there. Oh, hello. Uh, would your name be Bentheimer? Yes, sir. I'm Tommy. Hi, Tommy. That's a pretty heavy sack you're carrying. Uh-huh. Bet you I got a million bottles in it almost. Oh, go on. I bet you can't even count that high. Yes, I can. One, two, three, oh, four. Oh, 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 not now. We haven't time. Uh, where did they come from, Tommy? Pop told me to pick up all the empties I could find around the gymnasium. Some people don't care where they drop a hunk of glass, do they? 
No, I guess not. Where's your father? Inside, in the gym. Want me to call him for you? No, thanks. We'll find him. Mr. Bentheimer. Uh, Mr. Bentheimer. Uh, hello. Uh, my name is Hall, Dr. Hall. This is Mrs. Hall. Well, how do you do? Oh, glad to know you. Uh, excuse me, but I got a sweep right where you're standing there. Oh, oh I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, Mr. Bentheimer, Dr. Hall is the president of Ivy College. See, that's nice. Uh, just a minute, Doctor. Uh, please, you're tracking my sweepings back onto the clean floor. Oh, I beg your pardon. <laughs> it was clumsy of me. It's all right. We all make mistakes. Hey, Pop, I got all the bottles. Now what do I do? Well, uh, you and Jimmy and Ted pick up all the papers blown around the yard and tell Harry, Dave, and Frank to carry all this trash out to the incinerator. And if there are any kids left over, tell them to start washing the windows. <laughs> You said it, kid. <laughs> is, uh, is he the youngest? I think so. He's not as familiar as the rest of them. <laughs> uh, Mr. Bentheimer, I, I don't understand why you're doing all this. Why, my kids are using your showers. Well, yes, but... Oh, I... we don't want to be a charity cases, believe me. Pay our way, one way or another. I see. I hate to say this, Doctor, uh, but I don't think much of your janitors around here. My wife spent a half hour just cleaning the mirrors in the dressing rooms. Don't like to wrap the help, but... Well, you know what I mean. Yes, yes, I do. You see, Mr. Bentheimer, there was a dance here just last night, and we're a little short-handed right now. Well, nobody can make a mess like kids. I ought to know. <laughs> but it's the same everywhere. I was cleaning up the city park last month. Never saw such a mess. Oh, was it your idea to clean up the park to pay for keeping your trailer there? Yeah, sure. Any guy that gets something for nothing has received nothing for something. Say, uh, uh, you mind moving again? I want to sweep that place behind you there. Oh, oh yes, surely, yes. yes. Um, uh, uh, by, uh, by the uh, way, uh, you, you ought to buy some new brooms for your janitor, you know. No self-respecting witch would ride this thing even after dark. <laughs> Yeah, I'll make a note of it, but... In and, the, in the and, and, and your scrub pail's got holes in them, too. They have? You can't hold water in a leaky pail. Man's got to have the right tools. Uh, uh, Mr. Bentheimer, your record would seem to indicate an aimless irresponsibility. But uh, seeing you work, I think you might be the kind of rolling stone who suddenly surprises everybody by cornering the moss market. <laughs> now, what are your plans? Well, at the moment, Doctor, I, I'm sorry to say I, I'm on relief. I see. Uh, just temporary, until we get a place. Don't figure relief is a disgrace until you start leaning on it. Well, then you've tried to get a job. In 48 out of 49 states. But I, I like it here. It's, it's nice. It makes me feel at home. Seven kids, you know. Well, I'd like to have some of them go to Ivy one day. That's... Certainly worth working for. Oh, yes, yes, it is. Oh, I can pay my way, Doctor. Uh, uh, you need help there. I can't take over arithmetic or any of them foreign languages for you, but I can certainly make this campus shine. Well, we can't have you living on the athletic field, you know. Well, as soon as I'm working, I'll sell my trailer and get a house. Mary and the kids need a house with a yard and some flowers, maybe. Things, things with, with roots to them. I understand. Of course, I've got to warn you right off. I'm kind of a jinx janitor. In what way? Well, for instance, the last janitoring I did was in an office. And the boss told me to polish the floors. So I did. And that ended it. 
The job ended? No, the boss did. Skidded on the floor and ended himself pretty bad. <laughs> no more job. No more job. And then the place before that, I was hired to wash windows. So I did. Got them too clean. Some guy poked his head right through the glass. <laughs> no more job? No more job. I guess... I'm downright dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in your case, cleanliness is next to catastrophe. <laughs> but, but maybe uh, here at Ivy, my luck might change. Let's hope so. Well, Mr. Bentheimer, I'll think about all this. I, I'll be talking to you again. Uh, look, uh, if you can wait a minute, I'll go get Mary. She'd love to meet you. We never met a college president. Oh, I'm afraid I haven't the time just now. Well, I'll go home and think this thing over. I know. And there'll only be one answer after you've thought it over. How can I get them Bentheimers out of here? And you're right, Doc, from your standpoint, anyhow. I guess it's up to me to move. Well, now, let's not be too hasty, Mr. Bentheimer. It's possible that it's my move instead of yours. Hmm, yes. My move, perhaps. You keep your queen where she is and... I'll see what can be done with a night or two. Yes. And if things work out the way they should, I think I might be able to give you a check. Mate? Returning to the halls of Ivy, we find Dr. Hall and his wife, Victoria, at home in their living room, but very much not at home in their predicament. Well, it comes right back to this, Vicky. Wellman expected me to eject the Bentheimers, their children, and their trailer from Ivy campus. I didn't do it. Why did I have to be so sympathetic? Because that's the way you are, darling. <laughs> and why not? Remember, I fell in love with a certain college pres professor... Because he was so very sympathetic, so kind. And he wore his heart on his sleeve because it was too big for the inside of his chest. That, my dear, is a very pretty and, I must confess, a very flattering evasion of the problem. <laughs> I don't think it is, Toddy. If you weren't naturally sympathetic, you'd make a poor president of a college. You have to be pretty level-headed to wear a flat hat as long as you have. <laughs> Yeah, but the point is that emotion and logic seldom agree on a solution. When a spinster lady finds a burglar under her bed, her mind tells her to shriek for the police, while her instinct advises her to... to... well, exploit certain strategic advantages. <laughs> and who's evading now? <laughs> Well, it, it was an interesting thought, wasn't it? Mm. <laughs> uh, Vicky. Yes, dear? We didn't hear the phone ring, did we? Well, um... Could be a wrong number, I hope. Uh, and it could be Mr. Wellman, who's a wrong number if ever I knew one. <laughs> Strange how civilization weakens a man against all forms of communication. Primitive man, hearing a distant drum, could stuff bark in his ears and pretend he... he oh, well. Hello? 
Yes, Mr. Wellman, I was just going to call you about Mr. Bent. I... Oh, no, no, she hasn't. I see. Yes, of course. Yes, I understand. No, not at all, Mr. Wellman. Goodbye. Well? He wasn't interested in the Bentheimers. He wasn't? Well, I thought Mr. Wellman was more single-minded. Oh, he's positively flighty. He asked if the census taker had returned. He wants us to give her a message. Whatever about, dinner and dancing. No, no, it seems that three of our professors have suddenly hired maids within the past hour. Has that got something to do with anything? Maids who will arrive this afternoon, imported from other towns, and who should be included in our census. Well, I should think the chairman of the board of governors had more important things to worry about. You remember this morning he asked Miss Gregg about the population of Ivy? Yes. Let's see. Wasn't it 19,000 and something? 19,911. Plus the 87 members of our faculty living on campus. What, what, what does that add up to? 19,000 plus 87? Uh, no, no. 19,911 plus 87. Oh, it's two, nine. Eight from six, carry one. Three into two doesn't go. And it... Uh, What's the matter? Can't you add? <laughs> See, it's 19,998. Well, naturally. There's just two less, two less than 20,000. Of course, it all fits together. Not to me. Now, consider this, my dear. Wellman is on the town planning commission and the realty board. Yeah, I know. He's on everything that'll give him a chance to mess about in other people's affairs. Also... Director of a local building company, and his son-in-law owns a very profitable highway construction firm. Well, I suppose this all means something. A great deal, Vicky. If the town of Ivy reaches an official population of 20,000, there will be a bigger federal loan to our city, and a larger share of the state gasoline tax money will be allocated for local highway construction. Oh, Toddy. You know, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if Wellman didn't import those three new maids just to fatten our population. Oh, I'm positive he did. Really? I think this time we're, we're going to be on Wellman's team. <laughs> for once, we both want the same thing. Although not for the same reasons, perhaps. But uh, while it's always a, a step in the wrong direction to join Wellman in, in any direction... Uh, this time, his wrong reasons turn out to be the right results, only um, better. You were, I'm lost. Yes, and before I go down for the third time, I'd better get started now. <laughs> I'll be back in an hour. Yeah, what about the census taker? Uh, Vicky, you'll have to stay here and wait for her. All right. She said she'd be back at two o'clock. Good. Now, will you ask her for a total count here on the campus and then phone Wellman? Invite him over here at three o'clock. Hmm. I'm going back to see Bentheimer again. Uh, Dr. Hall, I cannot give you very much time now. I'm very busy. I have an appointment downtown shortly, so if we could discuss whatever is on your mind. Of course. It's regarding the Bentheimers. I called on them, you know. I see. And uh, what was the result? Well, the result was, Mr. Wellman, that I found them to be a very nice family. However, I agree that their trailer home is out of place on our athletic ground. I should hope so. This is a college, not a tourist camp. I've just come from a second talk with Mr. Bentheimer. He promises to be off the campus within an hour. Oh, Tony, where they live? Uh, just a minute, Vicky. Well, Doctor, I must congratulate you. I must admit that on occasion you handled matters with some, uh, quite well. I 
uh, presume that the uh, fellow was stubborn and defiant, as his sort usually is. Oh, not at all. No, I, I told Mr. Bentheimer I could secure him a job in Cleveland. A friend of mine operates a factory there. He supplies his employees with individual cottages. He gives them nice little places with plenty of yard for the children. He even furnishes seeds for their flower gardens. Then that disposes of our problem. It does. Uh, oh, Vicky, uh, did you give the census taker Mr. Wellman's message about the three new maids on the campus? Yes, I did. She had already counted them. The total of everybody living on the campus is now 87. Only 87? No, it's, it's 89. No, I'm afraid not, Mr. Wellman. You're forgetting that last month you dismissed two assistant professors. Oh, but only... 87. Plus 19,911 in the town of Ivy makes... Just two persons short of 20,000. Oh, this is... This is disastrous. Why, Mr. Wellman? You never thought they were very good professors anyway. The, the, the devil with the professors. It's the census. We, we've got to get 20,000 people in this town. Why? It's such a nice town. We don't want it overcrowded. No, 19,900 and something is such a nice number. <laughs> of course, um, I, I don't suppose it would be right to count the, the Bentheimer family now that they're moving away. Uh, what? The, the Bentheimers? Yes, it seems that our local census has forgotten Mr. and Mrs. Bentheimer and their seven children. Oh, that's impossible. How could anybody forget such a splendid family of nine? Nine! <laughs> why, why, well, that, that's enough to put us over the top. Yes, that, that, that's true, isn't it? That, that is, it would have been true. Oh, but we've got to count them. This is crucial. Where's that census taker? Oh, dear, she's already left the campus. Yes, and the Bentheimers will be on the highway to Cleveland in a few minutes. We, we've got to stop them. Um, may I make a suggestion? Uh, yes, anything. We can't let them... I mean, well, uh, yes. Yes? Now, the college could use another janitor. Perhaps if we offered Mr. Bentheimer... Oh, yes, he's got to stay. Hire him. Very well. And as an evidence of our good faith, I feel that we should give him an employment contract. For a janitor's job? A two-year contract. He doesn't want to be fired as soon as the census is taken. Oh, go ahead. Sign him up. Give him a contract. Buy him an automobile. Send him flowers, music, dancing girls. This is blackmail, pure blackmail. Oh, that's rather a nasty expression, Mr. Wellman. Our law professor would prefer quid pro quo, which is a Latin term meaning this for that. That's a mere janitor, a fellow who was in jail. Unjustly so, it seems to me. But we can make amends for past wrongs. Or, to use another Latin term, nunc pro tunc. Freely translated, meaning now for then. Oh, hang the Latin! Well, the minutes are passing. What do you say? All right. Go ahead. Give him the whole college. Good day. Nunc pro tunc. <laughs> Yes, my dear? I would like to have a little talk with you about the census. What about it, darling? Miss Gregg took down some rather startling vital statistics about you. She did? Yeah, according to what you told her, you have had eight wives. Eight wives? And your last wedding took place just one year ago. Oh, good heavens. I, I thought I told her I had one wife... And we'd been married eight years. I just can't understand. Well, I can, dear. At times you can be so dreadfully absent-minded, and this was one of them. 
For a moment, you just took leave of your senses. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty horrible, wasn't it? Shameful. Oh. But I forgive you, which is more, I'm afraid, than Mr. Wellman will do for either of us. Or for the man with seven children who lived in a silver trailer. That does sound like the title for a fairy tale, doesn't it? One that has come true, my dear. And like all good fairy tales, this one ends as it should. And they all lived happily ever after. I was curious. I tasted it. Now I know why Schlitz is the largest selling beer in America. No wonder it's the beer that made Milwaukee famous. And here again are Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. Good night, everyone. Good night. Coleman's latest picture, Champagne for Caesar. We'll be seeing you next week at this time at the Halls of Ivy, starring Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. Our other players were Herb Butterfield, Bob Sweeney, Virginia Gregg, and Jeffrey Silver. Tonight's script was written by Leonard St. Clair and Don Quinn. Music was composed and conducted by Henry Russell. The Halls of Ivy was created by Don Quinn, directed by Nat Wolf, and presented by the Joseph Schlitz Brewing Company of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Ken Carpenter speaking. Coming up is The Falcon on NBC. You don't hear that NBC logo anymore, except on old-time radio. Remember, you used to always hear that on television, at the end of each television show, too. That was uh, The Halls of Ivy. The name of that episode was The Bittenheimers and the Cross, and it originally aired on June the 21st, 1950, over NBC. Well, I understand you're a very talented carpenter, Ollie, so everyone says. Oh, I don't like to brag, missus, so I won't argue with you. I was a young carpenter in Sweden, you know, when I met my missus. I didn't know that. Oh, sure. I was hired to help her papa build a corn crib on his farm. And every day, this pretty girl comes to watch me work. Oh, and that was your wife, huh? No, that was her mama. <laughs> but one day, Christina comes with her, and when I see Christina, I was a gone goose. Cooked, were you? <laughs> I guess I was mooning at the girl while I was working on the corn crib. Because when I got it nailed up tight, I found I left something inside that shouldn't be there. What did her father say about that? I remember his very words. He said, Christina, tell that young yak ass to get me out of here. <laughs> how about a little music? Tell you what, how about a little Buddy Holly? Every day it's a getting closer Going faster than a roller coaster Love like yours will surely come my way Hey, hey, hey Every day it's a getting faster Everyone said go ahead and ask her Love like yours will surely come my way Hey, hey, hey Every day seems a little longer Every way love's a little stronger Come what may Do you ever long for true love from me? Every day it's a getting closer 
going faster than a roller coaster. Love like yours will surely come my way. Hey, hey, hey. Love the sound of Buddy Holly. He had such a unique sound. Now, he died when I was, what, 10 years old, for those of you that are about my age. Born in 47, I think he died in, what was it, 58 or 59? And I think it was 59 in that airplane crash. February of 59, if I'm not mistaken. I remember I had a paper route. And I had been out delivering the paper all morning. Now you're, what, 10, 11 years old. So you don't really think about reading the newspaper. Except maybe for the comics. Or I might want to read about what the Dodgers had done the night before. Although this was in February. So there were no Dodgers playing then. But I remember getting home. And uh, I always brought a paper home to my folks, and they were still in bed. This was an early morning route. It was probably a Sunday morning. I don't remember what day of the week he died. I remember putting the paper on the dining room table and opening it up, unfolding it, actually. it was We used to fold them to throw them. Remember that? On your bike, and you'd stuff that bag full of paper. So I'd been throwing these all morning. and. Uh, For the first time, I took one and unfolded it and set it on the dining room table. And there was this story about this horrible plane crash in uh, in Iowa. And Buddy Holly, of course, died. Richie Valens, who was very, very popular back during that time. And especially in our house, because my sister was a teenager, just, just had become a teenager. And so... You know, she had pictures of all these these singers up on her bedroom wall, as girls at that age are wont to do. But I remember that was sort of like the first time. It was the first time I remember someone that I had a youthful connection to dying like that. Hmm. But he did have a unique sound. I've often wondered what Buddy Holly would have done later in his career, how he would have fared through all of the acid music and all of the things. He was a very talented songwriter too, though, so I'm sure he would have done quite well. He could really rock it out too. Like when he did this song at the Apollo Theater with the Crickets, really rocked the place. All of my love, all of my kissing, you don't know what you've been missing, oh boy. Oh boy. When you're with me, oh boy. Oh boy. The whole world can see that you are what I meant for me. 
oh boy, oh boy, when you and me, oh boy, oh boy, the world can see that you were meant for me. Stars appear and the shadows are falling, and you can hear my heart calling. A little bit of loving makes everything right. Missing, oh boy, oh boy, when you're with me, oh boy, oh boy, the world can see that you are worth for me. Now that one was a classic. Classic Buddy Holly. Something familiar. Something peculiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Nothing with kings. Nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Ah! Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, comedy tonight. <laughs> All right, on our comedy corner tonight, we have an episode of the Jack Benny Show that originally aired in, I think it was. Well, I, I've got a date of July 11th, 1954. The name of this episode is Jack Takes a Date to a uh, French Restaurant. This was actually a rebroadcast of an earlier show. As his uh, television show grew in popularity, he walked away from the radio show, but it was still so popular that they rebroadcast several episodes for a few years. Called it Around the World with Jack Benny or something like that. Anyway, th- so this is a rebroadcast. I don't know what the original date was. But this one has a lot of funny bits in it. Do you remember um, on the old Jackie Gleason television show, the one where he uh, came from Miami Beach every week, from the entertainment capital of the world, Miami Beach. It's the Jackie Gleason show. He, he would do regular skits on there, and one of them was Joe the Bartender. Toward the end of that segment, they would always bring in Frankie Fontaine, who used to play Crazy Guggenheimer. Do you remember that? He'd come in and go, Hiya, Joe! Hiya, Mr. Dunny! Remember that? And then they'd always uh, have a little repartee back and forth, and Crazy would say some crazy stuff, and then he'd end up singing a song like Jim Neighbors used to with this deep, baritone voice. In fact, I saw him one night at Copacabana Nightclub in New York City. 
and he did the Frankie Fontaine routine and then sang the sang several songs at the end and it was he was quite entertaining. Well anyway, he used to appear on the on the Benny show too. And he used to play a character named um what is it? John C. Slavoni? Something like that. I it slips my mind right now, but you'll you'll catch it on the show. And he's in this one. And this will bring back some memories if you remember Frankie Fontaine. I guess that's pretty much it. So enjoy. This is a funny episode from July of 1954. Here is Jack takes a date to a French restaurant. Jack Benny with Barry Livingston, Rochester, Dennis Day, Bob Crosby, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Jack Benny's second week in New York, and right now we'd like to take you to Jack's room at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel. (laughs) Unfortunately, he's not staying there. So we take you to his room at the Acme Plaza. (laughs) East side, west side, all around the town. Doggone every time Mr. Benny comes to New York, he always stays at this broken-down hotel. Good morning, Rochester. Oh, good morning, Mr. Benny. Did you have a good night's sleep? Yeah, by the way, what kind of weather are we having today? Is it raining? I don't think so. Oh, is it sunny out? I'm not sure. Maybe it's cloudy and drizzly. Could be. On the other hand, it might be clear and cold. Boss, if you'd only get a room with a window, we could stop playing 20 questions. (laughs) Never mind. Say, look what time it is. I better get your breakfast in a hurry. You've got that 10 o'clock appointment with your dentist. No, no, Rochester. I went to the dentist yesterday, and I'm all finished. Good. Well, I'll order your breakfast. Room service. Uh, hello, this is Rochester. I'd like to order some breakfast for Mr. Benny. What'll he have this morning? Farina, oatmeal, mush, or cream of wheat? Ham and eggs. He can chew again. <laughs> oh, that's good. It'll be nice to have him smile at me for a change. <laughs> now, what else, please? Uh, buttered toast and coffee. Coffee? Yes. The management of the Acme Plaza Hotel requests that we make this announcement to our guests. Due to the recent increases in the cost of wholesale coffee, we are forced to raise our prices. You raised your price in coffee? Yes, it's five cents a cup now. (laughs) Well, send it along. Uh, Your breakfast will be along soon, boss. Oh, thank you. Oh, by the way, boss, uh, can I have tonight off? Some friends of mine are giving me a farewell party. No, Roger, I have a lot of things for you to do. Well, can I have tomorrow night off? No. Well, how about Tuesday night? That Tuesday night sounds all right. Where are you going Tuesday? The same party. It'll still be rolling. <laughs> I should have known. Well, Rochester... I'll get it. Well, hello, Jack. Oh, hello, Don. <laughs> Don, how are you? 
Now, turn yourself sideways and come in. I didn't expect you. I just thought I'd drop by. I have a little surprise for you. Surprise? Yeah, I was out with your sponsor last night, and uh, he told me how happy he is with your radio and TV program. Oh, that's nice. And to show his appreciation, he's buying tickets for all of us to see a Broadway show tomorrow night. Which one? LSMFT and Sympathy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I hated to tell him that Deborah Carr wasn't Dorothy Collins. But tell me, Don, how are you enjoying... Oh, that's probably my breakfast. Come in. Here's your breakfast. Thanks. Here's the peppermint salt. Here's a whisk broom. The whisk broom? What's that for? Coming down the hall, I dropped your ham and eggs. <laughs> Look, I told you you can forget the jokes. This trip, I brought my own writers. Okay, okay. Give me the check and I'll sign it. Here, boy. And I wrote down the tip. Ah. Say, uh, Mr. Benny, wouldn't you like to erase the tip and give me the same amount in cash? Why? Then nobody but the two of us will ever know. <laughs> okay, here. Thanks. Say, Don, do you care to have a little coffee with me? Oh, no, thanks, Jack. I've already eaten. Good, good. Well, I better eat before it gets cold. I got a radio rehearsal this afternoon, and tonight I got to pick up Giselle McKenzie. Gee, it's been a nice day. I like to walk along Broadway and... Look at all the signs. They're all the new pictures that have opened up. Beat the Devil with Humphrey Bogart. It should Happen to You with Judy Holliday. Riot in Cell Block 11. Oh, yes, that's based on the life of Frank Remley. <laughs> see, I thought the Hit Parade studio was right around here somewhere, but I don't see it. I better ask somebody where it is. Excuse me, mister. Huh? You talking to me? Yeah. Hey, I know you. You're John L. C. Savone. Well, it's nice running into you again, Mr. Savone. Huh? Wait a minute. Who are you? Don't <laughs> oh, you recognize me? Here, I'll step under the light. Now, take a good look at me. Holy smoke! Yeah, Benny. <laughs> That's right. Mrs. Avoni, the last time I saw you was in Hollywood. What are you doing here in New York? Well, I'll tell you how it happened anyway. I was back in Hollywood. I was just hanging around the house. Just hanging around the house. I wasn't doing anything. I was just hanging around the house. I didn't feel like doing anything. Just hanging around the house. Said to my wife, hey you. <laughs> she said, she said who? I said you. <laughs> she said me. I said yeah. <laughs> she said what? I said answer the phone. <laughs> she said no. I said answer the phone. She said no. I said, answer the phone. She said, no. I said, answer the 
Oh. He said, no. Gee, why, why didn't she want to answer the phone? It hadn't rung yet. Oh, well, if the... Well, if the phone hadn't rung, why'd you want her to answer it? Well, she just hanging around. She wasn't doing anything. Oh, I see. Well, then the phone rings, and it's a quiz program, and I answer all the questions correctly. You answer the questions correctly. What do they ask you? Well... First, they asked me my name. Yeah, naturally. They didn't stick me. <laughs> I had it right here on my driver's license. Oh, what else? <laughs> what else did they ask you on this quiz program? Well... They told me that they had asked the same jackpot questions over a lot of contestants. They asked me, how many legs does a horse have? And I said, three, and I won. Wait a minute, John. That's not the right answer. I know, but I was the closest. They, uh, uh, then they announced on the radio that the winner of the two-week vacation in Honolulu was John Alpice Avoni, and I said, holy smoke, that's me! Yeah, did you say you won two weeks in Honolulu? Yeah. Then what are you doing here instead? Well, I asked him if I could come here because I want to try out with the New York Giants. Well, John, you can't play baseball. With the Giants, that's an advantage. I see what you mean. Well, John, it was nice running into you, but I got to go now. I'm a little late for an appointment. By the way, do you know where the Hit Parade Studio is? Yeah, it's just around the corner. Well, thanks. I better hurry. Goodbye. Sure, Mr. Berry. What a character. Someone told him that peroxide would keep his hair blonde, so he drank three bottles. <laughs> oh, here's the theater. There's the stage door. Now, let's see where... Uh... Hey, you, where do you think you're going? Uh, oh, I didn't notice you, Dorman. I'm going in to see Miss Giselle McKenzie. Oh, yes. She left word for you to go right in. Thank you. Uh, you'll find her on the stage over there. And please be quiet. She's about to rehearse her number. Okay, okay.
fairy tales can come true It can happen to you If you're young at heart For it's hard you will find To be narrow of mind If you're young at heart You can go to extremes With impossible schemes You can laugh when your dreams Fall apart at the seams And life gets more exciting With each passing day And love is either in your heart Or on its way Don't you know that it's worth Every treasure on earth To be young at heart For as rich as you are, it's much better by far to be young at heart. And if you should survive to a hundred and five, look at all you'll derive out of being alive. And here is the best part. You'll have a head start If you are among the very young at heart If you should survive to a hundred and five, look at all you'll derive out of being alive. And here is the best part, you'll have a head start if you are among the very wonderful. Huh? Oh, oh, it's you, Jack. Yes, I came in uh, just as you started your number. Well, I'm all finished now. We can go. Good, good. Is there any particular place you'd like to eat? Well, how about the Colony Club? <laughs> well. 21? Oh, I don't know. How about El Morocco? <laughs> Well... Say, I know just the place. It's a little French restaurant on 83rd Street. You'll love it. It's called La Cuisine est Pauvre, mais le prix est bien. Uh, what does that mean? The food is lousy, but the price is right. <laughs> it sounds so nice in French. 
You know, Giselle, I I figured you'd suggest a French restaurant. Uh, your name is sort of French, isn't it? Well, just my first name, Mackenzie, is Scotch. Ah, the Scotch. They're great people. <laughs> you really think so, Jack? Yeah, both Phil Harris and I love them, but for different reasons. <laughs> we, uh... We turned this corner here, don't we? Oh, Jack, are we going to walk all the way? Well... Oh, come on, Jackie boy. Wouldn't it be fun with just the, the two of us in a cab? Hmm. Hmm. Taxi! Taxi! Are you on a cab, mister? Uh, yes. Get in, Giselle. Where you want to go, folks? Up Broadway to 83rd Street. Okay. Gee, as soon as he pushed the meter down, it registered 25 cents. <laughs> you hear that noise there? What, what happened to 15 and 5? <laughs> oh, well. Giselle? Yes? Do you mind if I put my arm around you? Well, no, Jack. There we are. Now, as I was saying, since I saw you last, I've thought about you quite often. and Not as a singer or entertainer, but as a beautiful... 30 cents. Girl, whom I could be very fond of. As a matter of fact, during my many years in show business, I've always thought of meeting a girl as sweet and intelligent as you. You know, yours is the type of beauty that I've always admired. Gorgeous figure, dark, flashing eyes, gleaming black, 35 cents. And you know, Giselle, I'm not usually serious. But a date like this tonight could lead to another, and then maybe we could get engaged, and after a while we'd even get married, and time, well, you know how it is. We could even raise a family, and maybe have one or two, or even three 40 cents kids. <laughs> or maybe, just like in the song, a boy for you and a girl for 45... Whoops, that was a quickie, wasn't it? Well, this is a ricochet romance if I ever saw one. Oh, Giselle, stop kidding. I'm serious about this. Hey, buddy, you back there. Ain't you Jack Bunny? Yes, yes, I am. You see, Giselle... I I... thought I recognized you when you got in. Thank you. You see, Giselle, I'm really fonder of you than... Say, Mr. Bunny, I got a brother lives in Los Angeles. Name's Crowley, Joe Crowley. Ever run into him there? Crowley? No, I don't think so. Anyway, Giselle, every man must settle down sometime when man feels that romance has come into his life. Rex's knuckles a lot. Funny you never hide them. <laughs> Look, driver, there are nearly two million people in Los Angeles. I assure you, I don't know everybody. But Joe wears glasses. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I didn't see him. Now, let's see, where was I? Romance had come into your life and Joe is wearing glasses. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, Giselle, as I was saying, there comes a time when every man... Holy smoke, look at that meter. Sixty cents now. Driver, stop the cab. Well, we ain't at 83rd Street. I don't care. Stop the cab. Your meter's too fast. Look, mister, you can't get in my cab and say I'm a crook. I don't... You think, you think I'm, I'm some tourist that you can take me for a joyride and play me for a 65-cent sucker? <laughs> well, you can't go do that. Stop the cab. Here's your money. Now, come on, let's go, Giselle. But, Jack, what about dinner? Don't worry. He stopped right in front of your apartment. 
You must have something in the refrigerator. Oh, Jack, the CBS Radio and Television Networks, as well as your show, have been singularly honored by the American Legion. And here tonight is Dr. Frank Stanton, president of CBS. Hello, Dr. Stanton. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Jack. And also, Jack, I'd like you to meet Mr. James O'Neill, publisher of the American Legion's National Magazine. Hello, Jack. Well, it's good to, it's good to see you, Mr. O'Neill. It's certainly nice to be here with Dr. Stanton and you, Jack. They say that when you put two legionnaires together, it doesn't take long to get a convention going. So, Legionnaire Jack Benny of Post 264, Lake Forest, Illinois, we've got our own little convention underway with Dr. Frank Stanton as our guest of honor. That we have. Well, Dr. Stanton and Jack, the American Legion is privileged to present these Legion Awards. Dr. Stanton... The American Legion commends you and your radio and television divisions for maintaining a high level of clean entertainment. We feel that the Jack Benny Show typifies that quality. We also wish to cite the networks for their unexcelled public informational services. For these reasons, I am very proud to have the privilege of presenting you with these citations, Dr. Stanton. Thank you, Mr. O'Neill, and you too, Jack. Let me say that we are deeply honored by the American Legion's recognition of our efforts. It has been our continuing objective over the years to bring the American people the best entertainment and the most responsible news and public discussion within our power. This latest testimonial by the American Legion can only serve to give us renewed incentive in our steady pursuit of this goal. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Stanton and Mr. O'Neill. And ladies and gentlemen, I'll be back in just a moment, but first... Hello? Yeah, this is Mabel. Oh, hello, Gertrude. How are you? Yeah, I got another letter from Sylvester from overseas. Boy, he's really in there pitching. A regular five-letter man. What five letters? U-S-A-F-I. That's what five letters. Uh-huh. He just finished his USAFI courses he was studying, and now he's taken a couple of general courses. No, honey, he isn't studying to be a general. <laughs> general courses means he's just studying for his own amazement. He's taken a course on American government. What do you mean, why study about it? Listen, Gertrude, it wouldn't do any of us any harm to do a little boning up on how our government works. There's lots of things even you could learn. Give you, for instance, okay, when did the pilgrims land on Plymouth Rock? What? When their airplane ran out of gas? <laughs> oh, I gotta disconnect you, Gertrude. My buzz is flashing. I'll let you know when I hear from Sylvester again. Yeah. Don't take any wooden nickels. Bye. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank Frank Fontaine for bringing us his character of John L. C. Savoni once more. Giselle, I want to tell you how happy I am that you could appear on my radio show tonight. Well, Jack, it was a pleasure. Tell me, are you going right back to Hollywood? Oh, no, I have a couple more things to do here in New York, and then I'm going to Washington, D.C. to say goodbye to an old friend. Who? My money. <laughs> George Balzer and John Tackerberry. And produced and transcribed by Hilliard Marks. Don Wilson speaking. Good night. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio Service. That was the Jack Benny Show. And that one was from 1954. Jack takes a date to a French restaurant. Remember remember Frankie Fontaine? Did that bring back some memories? You know, I remember uh, on that Jack Jackie Gleason show. It was like a variety show. It was an hour long. And I, I want to say it came on Saturday night. I'm almost positive it came on Saturday night. But remember they had the, was it the June Taylor dancers? And every week they would do a big production number at the beginning of the show that looked like a Busby Berkeley number where they actually had the cameras uh, hung from the ceiling and they would look down on the girls as they formed formations on the stage as they were laying down in many cases, just like Berkeley used to do in some of those old movies from the 40s. Hmm. Jackie Gleason. I'll never forget the day he died. Time magazine, I remember. I think it was Time. Maybe it was Life. Anyway, one of those uh, regular weekly magazines had a a picture of him, you know, with the cigarette in hand, like kind of with the smirk on his face like he always had. And I remember the caption was, So long, pal. I always thought that was fitting. But Frankie Fontaine, yeah, like I said, I saw I had a guest in from out of town when I was living in New York, and he wanted to go to the Copacabana because it was such a famous nightclub, so he invited me along and picked up the expenses, because I didn't have any money. And uh, it was quite an experience. If you were if you were um, stag, as it were, if you weren't with a date or with a wife, not so much a date, it was a wife, um, you had to sit in the upper ring. It wasn't a huge nightclub, really. There, there was uh, the main floor... And the stage was just in on the main floor up against one wall in the middle of this, you know, the width of this, this floor. And then they had like a two or three steps up, uh, like a dais that ran all the way around it. And they had tables on that. And if you were single guys or you were there without a woman, then you had to sit up on the dais. You couldn't sit on the floor. I remember the cover. I think the cover charge was, uh, actually there was no cover. There was a minimum. I think it was $12, and this was probably in 1970, probably 1970. And what you could do is you could eat it or drink it, the minimum. You just had to spend $12 per person. So if you wanted a drink, and I think we were there for the late show. We had been to a Broadway show or something, and, and, and we went there for the late show, which started like at 11 o'clock at night. So I remember we had Eggs Benedict. And probably a beer or something, I don't know. But anyway, that was the Copacabana.
And now, here are Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Say, Charlie, isn't that your French girlfriend coming into the service department? Yeah, Bergen, isn't she a doll? Pardonnez-moi, monsieur. I don't wish to bother you. Oh, think nothing of it. Beautiful women always bother me. It is my automobile. She has a squeak. Oh, poor thing. It probably needs one of our quality guardian maintenance lubrications. Fantastic. How did you know that? Specialized training, ma'am. Specialized training? Oui. The servicemen at all Chevrolet, Pontiac, Oldsmobile, Buick, Cadillac, Chevy, and GMC truck dealers get special training. That's what makes them guardian maintenance servicemen. They're trained to know your GM product best. You are so wonderful. (laughs) Oh, I must kiss you. Gladly. (laughs) Oh, la, la. How did you learn to kiss like that? Specialized training, ma'am. Tell you what. I I would like another Buddy Holly tune. What do you say? Here's my very favorite Buddy Holly tune. Just you know why Why you and I Will by and by No true love why Sometimes we'll sigh Sometimes we'll cry And we'll know why Just you and I know true love Throughout the day will bring us joys to share with those who really care. Sometimes we'll sigh, sometimes we'll cry, and just you and I, no true love Oh, well, well, the little things you say and do 
music means, it means it's time to walk down the dusty streets of Dodge City, Kansas, circa 1875, walking along with Marshal Matt Dillon. It's time for an episode of Gunsmoke. We've got a good one tonight. This one comes to us from December the 11th, back in 1954. This episode is entitled The Bone Hunter. Thank you. 
Gunsmoke. Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad. The transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America. And the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful. And a little lonely. Mr. Dillon. Oh, what is, Chester? Look up the street there. What? Uh, coming out of the Long Branch. Yeah, come on. I don't understand it. I didn't hear no gunshot. Well, that man they're carrying got hurt somehow, Chester. If he'd only passed out drinking, they'd probably left him under the bar and stood on him to improve their reach. Oh, I've seen that happen, Mr. Dillon. I've really seen it. Now, look, there's Doc with him. Well, he's got better ears than I have if he heard any gunfire. Now, there are other ways of killing men, Chester. Oh, yes, sir, that's true, Mr. Dillon. I saw a man killed with a bullwhip once. Oh, that was you bad. You men carry him up to my office. Okay. The door's open. I'll be long as soon as I talk to the marshal. Matt, you'd better get into the long branch or there's going to be more of this. What happened, Doc? That's Bill Zant they're carrying. I don't know him. Well, neither do I. Now, that's what they said it is. Well, it doesn't matter what happened to it. Now, he's been cut bad with a bowie knife. Who did it? Now, that big drunk buffalo man, Noli Meeker. Noli Meeker, huh? Is he still in the Long Branch? Yes, he is, Matt. And you watch out for him. He's in a mighty dangerous mood. You see it? Well, I saw part of it. I was in there having a beer when it happened. Zant had a knife, too, but Noli Meeker knocked it out of his hand. Oh, then Noli did this himself to No, he didn't. Everybody says Noli started it. Well, I've got to go and take care of Zant before he dies. Now, you watch out for Noli, Matt. Nobody can get anywhere near him. Come on, Justin. I saw Noli Meeker drunk once, Mr. Dillon. He sure does get mean. Mean enough to start killing people? Yes, sir. But when he's sober, he always seems plenty calm. I just don't know what happens to him. Now, that's what happens to other people I don't like. Being drunk's no excuse for murder. No, sir, it sure ain't. See what he's going to do. Oh, look at him. He's got the whole bar to himself, Mr. Dillon. And, oh, that bloody knife in his hand. How are you going to take him? You'll stay here. Evening, Nolly. Get away from me, Marshal. Why don't you drop the knife, Nolly? You're in enough trouble now. I killed Zant, didn't I? I'll kill you next. Zant isn't dead yet, Nolly. And I'm going to have to keep you in jail till we find out if he's going to live. I ain't going to jail. Not if I have to cut me a path all the way out of Dodge. If Sant dies, you murdered him. You're not leaving Dodge. 
Now, you can't be so drunk you don't understand that. Come on, Marshal, let's fight. Caught my six-gun against your Bowie knife, you wouldn't have a chance, Nolly. Now, why don't you calm down before you get hurt? You go get yourself a knife. No, I'm not going to go get myself a knife. Okay, we'll fight this way. Forget about fighting, Nolly. I can cut good with this knife, Marshal. I can throw it, too. Stop it, Nolly. Didn't know that, did you? Watch. <laughs> well, you don't throw too good when you're drunk. Nolly! <laughs> Pretty good today, do you, Nolly? Leave me alone, huh? I got a head like I've been sleeping under a buffalo. Yeah. Well, you don't deserve it, but I brought you some coffee. I put it right there. Uh, I'd do better on a pint of triple X. You sure learn hard, Nolly. Go away. Go away. Let me sleep, Chester. Hmm. Last time I scalded my thumb bringing in coffee... Well, how's our prisoner this morning, Chester? Well, I don't think it's the liquor so much as the way you hit him, Mr. Dillon. Well, he had it coming. He sure did. That knife couldn't have missed you more than an inch. I still don't know why you didn't shoot him. Well, how would it look for me to shoot somebody that didn't have a gun? Besides, I don't think Nolly really knew what he was doing. I ain't sure he knows yet. Good morning, Mac. Chester. Hello, Doc. How's Zant coming along, Doc? Well, that's what I came to tell you, Matt. Zant's going to live. Huh? He's going to be awful thin for a while, but but he'll live. Uh, bring Nolly in here, will you, Chester? Yes, you. Nothing vital was cut, Matt, but the man bled so much. It took me over an hour to get it stopped. For a while there, I thought he'd surely die. You know, it's too bad there isn't some way to get blood back into a man when he loses that much. Well, I don't know how you could do that, Doc. Oh, if I could. I'd save twice as many lives as I do. Well, I'm going to go to bed, Matt. It's been a long night. Thanks for coming, Don, Doc. about sleeping, Willie. You just escaped years and years of it, whole centuries. I'll take that on any time, Chester. What do you want, Marshal? You sober enough now to tell me why you took your knife to the Zant last night, Nolly? Personal matter? Well, maybe you better tell me whether it's personal or not. I'm not going to turn you loose to go stab him again. Turn me loose? You didn't kill Zant. He's going to live. Now, what were you fighting about? A woman. Is that all? You got something against women, Marshal? That's not what I meant. I've known you for a long time, Nolan. You never seem like the kind of a man who'd try to kill somebody over a woman. When I'm drunk, I get mean, Marshal. I'll fight over anything. Even a woman, huh? Now you're fogging me up again, Marshal. Okay. Why did you know Zant? We've both been working for Ezra Marcy. Collecting buffalo bones? 
We gather them up off the prairie and bring them back to Dodge and sell them to Marcy. And he ships them back east on the railroad. It's beyond me how they can make fertilizer in China and stuff out of them old buffalo bones. Nolly, you and Zant work together, is that it? No. I got my own wagon. He's got his. But I still don't like him. You gonna leave him alone? Marshal, I wouldn't hurt nobody less than I was crazy drunk. You tried to kill me too, do you know that? I did? Oh, Marshal, I don't believe that. You threw your boy knife at me. And you're lucky I didn't shoot you. I shouldn't have done that. Now you start drinking again and I'll throw you in jail as soon as I see you. All right, you can go now, Nolly. But you came awful close to hanging. You just remember that. Well, my pa always said I'd hang. I won't cause no more trouble, Marshal. So long. So long, Chester. Goodbye, Nolly. Mr. Dillon, do you believe that about them fighting over a woman? Oh, there might be more to it than that, Chester. Why don't you ask Zant about it? Well, if Nolly's lying, Zant will lie, too. But whatever they were fighting about, I doubt that it's over. He hurt Zant too bad for that. Morning, Matt. Well, hello, Kitty. You waiting for the stage to come in? No. No, I just got tired sitting in my office. That's a funny thing about your job. No? You're either doing nothing, sitting in your office, or standing around the plaza like some bum. Or you're the most violent man in Kansas. <laughs> well, it's a good thing I don't get paid for the job, isn't it? You'd starve. <laughs> oh! Hello, Marshal. Hello, John. But still, nobody could ever pay me enough to go against Noli Meeker and his knife the way you did a couple of weeks ago. Well, I could have shot him, Kitty. No, you couldn't. Not you. Just what'll get you hurt someday, Matt. Or worse. Look, Kitty, I'll die when my time comes, just like everybody else. Matt, I'll feel better when I get some breakfast. Oh, haven't you eaten yet? I don't get up as early as some people. <laughs> I'll go with you, Kitty. I could use a cup of coffee myself. Oh, wait. Here comes Ezra Marcy. Looks huh? like he wants you. Morning, Miss Kitty. Marshal. Oh, Marcy. Marcy. <clears throat> I got a job for you, Marshal. Oh? I wish I'd never made a deal with them men. Neither one of them. Oh, you mean Sant and Nolly Meeker? They am. They've been complaining and fighting more than they've been gathering buffalo bones for me. Oh, why don't you deal with somebody else? Most men would rather hunt for hides than bones, Marshal. Pays better. I buy both, so it don't matter to me, but even so, Zant ain't been much use since Noli cut him up. Now he, he ain't no use at all. Why not? Noli's got a shack down past the opera house at the edge of town, Marshal. Let's go ask him. He got drunk again last night. I thought you were talking about Zant. It's about Zant I want to talk to Noli. Oh, why do you need me? Noli killed him, Marshal. What? Zant was doing with a wagon load of bones this morning, and he was late. So I rode up the river to look for him. 
And I found him, sitting on his wagon with a hole through him like a sharp's 50 he'd make. You think Noly did it? Well, Noly tried to kill him before, didn't he? And he come in with a load of bones yesterday, and I paid him off, and he went and got drunk. Of course, Noly killed him. Does Noly have a sharp's 50? He used to be a hide hunter until he got tired of it. And it was a sharps that killed Sandra. Anybody can tell that. Yeah, I guess they could. That Noly Meeker's a murderer, Marshal. You go arrest him. Did you leave Sand at the river, Marcy? I ain't gonna bury him. Come along and show me where he is. All right, I'll send somebody out to bury him, but let's go find Noly. I don't want no murderer to get away. I'll talk to Noly later. No. No, we'll get him first. We're going to the river, Marcy. Now. I went by the office and picked up Chester, and he and I followed Marcy up the river. His aunt had stopped in a little cottonwood grove, apparently to water his oxen, a couple of miles above Dodge. And we found him there, slumped over the seat of his big Studebaker wagon, shot in the back. The wagon, piled high with sun-bleached buffalo bones, was headed toward the river. But the oxen had stopped when Zant was hit and were standing patiently, waiting for their next command. We laid Zant's body onto the sand, and then I had Chester lead the oxen down to the water. A few minutes later, he was back. Bury's hand out here, Mr. Dillon. Alice has got a place as any. While we're fooling around here, Noly's probably on the run. I'll find him, Marcy. But I don't know how I'm going to prove he did it. Well, you got all the proof you need. What if he's got a good alibi? What if he can prove he was someplace else when this happened? Marshal, now I ain't going to miss Zan. But I ain't going to watch a murderer go free, neither. I'm kind of against murder myself, Marcy. You're awful slow showing it. Wasting time coming out here and all this talk about proof and such. I'm telling you, Marshal, if you don't see Noly Meeker hung for this, I will. Lynch talks something I won't stand for, Marcy. Now, don't make it around me and don't start making it around Dodge. You're threatening me, Marshal. I don't threaten people. I warn them. Now, you know me. You know what I mean. We'll go find Noly and see what he has to say. Tester. Yes, sir. We'll send somebody out for the wagon and those oxen. They can stand here a while longer. They've had their water. Well, you know, that that's the funny thing, Mr. Dillon. Them oxen didn't drink no water. They didn't? No, sir. And they hadn't been to the river, neither. There wasn't no track between where they were standing and the river. Then why was Zant heading them toward the river? I don't know. But you'd think Zant would have known if they wasn't thirsty. Of course he would. Well, I guess it don't matter much, Mr. Dillon. I'm not so sure, Chester. I'm not sure at all. But let's go find Noly. This is it, Marshal, right here. I just hope Noly ain't awake and watching us out of one of them cracks. You can ride back if you like, Marcy. No, no, I want to be here when you talk to him. Okay. Yeah. 
talk to you, Nolly. What's Marcy here for? You're still drunk, ain't you? No, I ain't drunk. I done slept it off. Were you drunk last night, Nolly? I didn't cause no trouble last night. Were you drunk? Of course I was. I didn't see you in any of the saloons. Well, I was out here, sitting on the ground. I was sitting right there against the wall, me and a friend of mine down to jug of corn whiskey. Took us most all night. What did you want to know for? You had a friend with you? He was here till about an hour or two ago. Who was it? Well, you don't know him. He's an old Indian, a Cheyenne. Where is he now? He's on his way home. Where? Absaroka Mountains. Absaroka Mountains in Wyoming? Well, that's what you're doing here. Looking for him because he run off the reservation down south. Well, you won't find him, Marshal. That old Cheyenne's traveling alone and he lives like a wolf. You'll never find him. No, I don't expect we could. Well, there goes his alibi. Alibi? What are you talking about? About Zant's murder. Zant's murder? You'll hang for it now. Wait a minute, Marcy. Zant was shot in the back with a Sharps 50 this morning, Nolly. A couple of miles up the river. Marshal, you're thinking I did it? Well, you tried to do it once before. I didn't kill him, Marshal. When I was to kill a man, I wouldn't do it that way. I ain't no coward. Arrest him, Marshal. He can do his talking in jail. I didn't do it, I tell you. You know I ain't that kind of a man. I ain't a good man, but I ain't like that. Okay, Nolly. I believe you. I couldn't prove it anyway. Now, look here. Shut up, Marcy. And you remember what I told you? I don't want to hear any talk out of you. Come on, Chester. There's something I want to do in town. down here to the depot, Mr. Dillon. Well, I want to talk to Sam Vestal, just... Just hope he's in. Uh, hello, Marshal. Chester. Come on in. All right, Sam. Fine, Chester. What can I do for you, Marshal? Sam is agent for the Santa Fe Railroad. I figured that you might know something about Ezra Marcy's bone shipments out of here. Uh, well, what is it you want to know, Marshal? Well, I want to know if there's been any trouble about him. It sure has. But how'd you know? Marcy told me not to say anything about it. Tell me about the trouble, Sam. Well, the buyers back east have been calling Marcy a crook. But I know he ain't, Marshal. I weigh them loads myself, and I'll personally guarantee they ain't short on weight when they leave here. But they are short when they arrive back there, huh? Mm, some of them are. Uh-huh. Zants. How'd you know that? I guessed it. Well, you're right. I checked on it for Marcy, and it's the loads Bill Zant brings in that come up short back east. Marcy pays Zant by the load, doesn't he? 
Sure, sure, but it made Marcy terrible mad being called a crook like that when he ain't one. If you ask me, maybe it's them fellas back east. They're the crooks. All Marcy wants is to be paid for the weight of the bones he ships out of here. They come up short back there. Ain't his fault. Uh-huh. Well, thanks, Sam. I'll go talk to Marcy about it. I, uh... I think maybe I can straighten this whole business out now. Marcy's coming, Mr. Dillon. I found him in the Texas Trail. You know what he was doing. What, Chester? Stirring up a bunch of men in there about how they got to go get Noli Meeker. He was telling him you ain't going to do nothing about it. I'm going to do something about it. Here he comes. It's no use, Marshal. You can't stop me now. I already got ten men in there on my side. Well, that's 11 to 1 against Noli, isn't it? We shouldn't have much trouble taking him. Except for one thing. You ain't gonna stop us. I'm stopping you right now. All I gotta do is yell. They'll be out here, Marshal. I see I had a talk with Sam Vestal down at the depot. What? The bone Zant's been hauling in. They've been losing weight on their way back east. All right. So he told you? That's my trouble, Marshal. I'll handle it. You've already handled it. What are you talking about? You're scared to death, aren't you? I don't know what you're saying. Those oxen weren't thirsty at the river. Zant wasn't headed for water because of them. It was to soak those sun-dried buffalo bones. You figured it out too, didn't you? Waterlogged, they weigh in heavy here, but by the time they're weighed again back east, they're dried out. Zant was a crook. Yeah, sure he was. But you shouldn't have murdered him, Marcy. Me? Murder him? I'm arresting you for it. No, no, you ain't. I'm going to take your gun, Marcy. No. No. He shouldn't have tried that, Mr. Dillon. He's about the poorest gunfighter I ever saw. He was slow, Chester. But he'd have killed me if I'd let him. Why'd you try it? I don't know how you could have proved he murdered Zant anyway. I couldn't. But Marcy was feeling so guilty and so scared he didn't stop to think. If he had, he might have bluffed the whole thing out and gone free. Now it was his own guilt that did him in, Chester. under the direction of Norman MacDonald stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Bill James and Ray Kemper. 
Featured in the cast were John Daner, Herb Ellis, and Frank Cady. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Tuberculosis can attack at any age, and it can invade any home, rich or poor. But Christmas seals fight tuberculosis. Help protect you, your family, and all of us from our country's number one infectious killer. This year, use Christmas seals on your cards and packages. Why not go home for the holidays with Perry Como? That's the title of Perry's new RCA hit record, and he'll sing it for you next week when Chesterfield brings you all the top tunes on radio. Perry invites you to be his guest every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and reminds you to get a carton of Chesterfield for the weekend. Remember, listen again next week for another story of the Western Frontier when Marshal Matt Dillon, Chester Proudfoot, Doc, and Kitty, together with all the other hard-living citizens of Dodge, will be with you once more. It's America growing west in the 1870s. It's drama. It's gun smoke. Brought to you by L and M Filters. This is the CBS Radio Network. From December the 11th, 1954, as originally heard on CBS, that was Gunsmoke. Written by John Meston, the name of that one was The Bone Hunter. Please don't tell. No, no, no. Don't say that I told you so. I just heard a rumor from a friend I don't say that it's true I'll just leave that up to you If you don't believe I'll understand You recall a girl that's been in nearly every song This is what I heard of course, the story could be wrong. She's the one I've been told. Girl, she's wearing a band of gold. Peggy Sue got married not long ago. That's a Buddy Holly tune you don't hear nearly as, as often as you hear some of the others. Peggy Sue Got Married. They made a fun film out of that uh, out of that song. Remember with Kathleen Turner and Nicolas Cage? 
That must have come out in the late 80s. Peggy Sue got married about time traveling. Going back to that wonderful time. May God bless and keep you always. May your wishes all come true. May you always do for others. Let others do for you. May you build a ladder to the sky. Climb on every rung and may you stay. See the light surrounding you. May you always be courageous. Stand up right and be strong. And may you stay.
folks, that's going to kick things in the head for another week. I'm really glad you stopped by this week. It was fun being with you. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I am so glad you met. Dum dum dum. 
Hello, operator. Oh, is that you, Mert? How's everything? Your old man. Slit his what? 22 stitches, eh? I told him them pants was too tight.